0: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective. 2020 on Vision. The idea of screen time reducing lifetime. And uh, we'll touch too on the rise and fall of popular online platforms like Facebook or YouTube or TikTok. TikTok. Our mobile phones and devices are now routinely embedded in our everyday lives. Now there's some new research that shows that lots of Aussies are experiencing the negative impacts of screen time. One in two of us access our phones just before we go to bed at night and during the first three minutes after waking up in the morning. And maybe that's a warning sign. A rising number of us believe the use of screens is negatively impacting our mental health and it's hindering our relationships rather than helping them. It's not just our mental health, but our physical health too, where two-thirds of us believe that our use of screens has made our lives more sedentary. The impacts of screens are not just experienced individually, but also much more widely as a whole society. More than four in five Australians agree that the use of screens has led to a greater spread of misinformation in our society. And that's not to mention the increase in the prevalence of bullying. Well, let's get some thoughts on a topic like this today that I know you'll be gripped by because you no doubt use a mobile device. Dr. Lindsay McMillan is the Managing Director of ReVenture Limited and co-founder of Main Street Insights. Now, Main Street Insights, an initiative of ReVenture and McCrindle, existing to provide insights to build flourishing communities. Uh, Dr. Lindsay McMillan, a special welcome back to 2020.
1: Uh, Good morning again, Neil, and it's good to be with you.
0: Uh, Lindsay, phones, they are an integral part of Australians' daily routines and uh, your research, this latest research that's come out, absolutely affirms that.
1: There's no doubt about that. The fact is that our phones now are almost part of our life to a point where if you take a phone away from somebody, they feel like their right arm has been cut off. Um, and the fact is that we are so reliant upon our phones, or our uh, iPads or our laptops, that we just simply cannot do without them. And I think from a lifestyle point of view and a relationship point of view, our use of screens can in fact become an impediment rather than an enhancing of lifestyle. And that's something we should chat about this morning. How do our phones and our screens Enhance our lives rather than view them as something that, um, from our research, does indicate that they're not doing that.
0: Okay, there might be an issue around attitude, our attitudes to our mobile devices in all of that. Hey, it's not just an addiction because, I mean, I've had lots of conversations on this program about the idea of uh, addiction, screen addiction, but this is, it's not just an addiction. As you say, people feeling like they've had their arm cut off. This is something of an extreme. It really has pervaded every part of our lives.
1: Let me just tell you a story. Uh, My wife and I went out to a restaurant. This was before COVID, and it was uh, quite a small restaurant. Uh, we were there just by ourselves. I was facing her. There was a table right next to me with a young couple. On the right hand side of the knife, he had his phone, and on the right hand side of uh, the knife of his uh, lady friend, she had a phone. And it was uh, we were having a, my wife and I were having a conversation, and the, this couple, who spent all their time on their phones. Um, and referring to something on their screen to the other person across the table. And when the meal came, they put their phone down and kept checking their phone. And then towards the end of their conversation, which was minimal, um, they shared their screens uh, on something particular and concluded their restaurant experience. Now, I looked at that and I said to my wife, what is the quality of the relationships that emerges when you simply have that kind of encounter in a restaurant. Um, so it's a story that I often tell when I refer to the power of screen time. Uh, and part of our research also indicates that there's been a more of a reliance upon our screens, uh, particularly during this COVID time. We uh, are more sedentary. We are more reliant. And the fact is that uh, mental health issues are emerging from this. General health issues are emerging from this, because we do know that when you last thing that you look at at the end of a night is this blue ray uh, light that comes through your your uh, screen to your eyes, does in fact and can in fact impact the quality of your sleep. Uh, we know that uh, young children under Age of two, for instance, the latest research indicates that the daily average of children under two is about 45 minutes of daily average on screen time. Uh, You then go up to um, teenagers and early 20-year-olds and you're into the eight or nine hours a day on the latest research that uh, indicates that they are now spending more time on screens than they are in the quality of relationships. So they're just some of the insights that have emerged from not only our research, but other research.
0: Well, relationships important here as uh, perhaps a priority, although there's all of these other layers, as you are indicating. But when we talk about relationships, oftentimes people who have Facebook, uh, they have a lot of friends and uh, friends on Facebook. That's a nice, interesting way to talk about those connections, but Uh, There's no replacement for this face-to-face relational interaction with someone who uh, looks you in the eye and uh, has a knowledge of you in a deeper way. Uh, There's a certain uh, thing we might be able to talk about here, the idea of a shallow relationship or a deep relationship. Uh, What are your thoughts on where screen friends take us uh, compared to the sorts of relationships that are necessary for us as social beings?
1: (coughs) Uh, Neil, there's a couple of thoughts there. One is, and this is the headline, we have become so transactional that we've lost the art of being relational. So that, that would be a headline for this conversation. So coming back to your FaceTime discussion, I was speaking to a quite a large uh, conference some time ago on, on this and some other research that we've done. And she came up to me and said, that she had 495 friends on Facebook. And then I asked her this question. I said, so how many of those 495 friends would you regard as close, intimate friendships that you felt like you engaged on a truly human level? She said three. Mm -hmm. I said, so what's the measure of a friend on Facebook? And the measure of the friend on Facebook was the number of likes you have. And so the measure of relationships on Facebook is the number of, not only the number of, you, of friends you have, but the number of likes that you have. And this becomes a problem for teenagers and young people where um, they measure, uh, and I'm generalizing now, they measure the level of friendship by the number of friends that you have. So again, it comes back to the issue of quality relationships. How do we actually enhance our quality relationships when we know that the, uh, the driver of this, largely these days, is through screens? Wow.
0: You know, taking this to a deeper level again, if you lose the art of relationship, then that upsets your family culture. What gets upset then, of course, is your community culture. And ultimately, you've got a dismantling of what might be a formed national culture. Uh, It really is a cracking at the surface that can go way, way deeper, Lindsay.
1: I think that's right, Neil. I think that uh, um, we need to be very careful how we look at what it is that makes a quality relationship. Um, And that is the quality of time you spend with somebody the quality of understanding what their human needs are and their heart is all about, the ability to actually create genuine and authentic friendships with one another starts with being a good neighbour, starts with actually noting what it means to be a good neighbour and neighbourliness. I well recall that uh, Hugh Mackay wrote a book not so long ago called Australia Reimagined, and he said that we've lost the art of being a good neighbour And so that's putting our screens away and simply taking a general look at somebody and asking them how they are. Is there anything we can do to help you? Another part of this journey, which we've discovered, and it comes into even to a business community and Harvard Business School actually wrote a big, long article about the importance of being kind and authentic and expressing compassion and kindness. So when you actually think about that, coming back to your point of what's the structure of society and how do we actually create a sense of community, we have to actually revisit some of the the New Testament principles here of expressing kindness and compassion and genuine concern and taking an interest in somebody. So when you put screens in front of all of that, you're saying that um, what is it that's uh, important, uh, like this couple at the restaurant? I'd say some of the qualities that I've just described and some of the New Testament qualities of what it means to be a friend uh, certainly weren't expressed there. Another example of what's come out of this during COVID is that uh, I took a, a challenge to actually talk to people who I haven't talked to for some time. So I went through some of my contacts and I simply phoned people and I said this question. I said to Lloyd, for instance, I said, Lloyd, I just you just came to mind, so I thought I'd give you a call and see how you're going. Well, not only Lloyd, but a number of other people who I did that with were amazed that I just had no agenda other than simply to express friendship. So coming back to the question of society and culture, We have to start to recapture some of these elements. And I have to say our research around screens is really an impediment to that intent. It it
0: certainly does appear to be. You know, I've asked our listeners today a question and I'll invite listeners to call in and be a part of our conversation about any of these dimensions we're talking about. But the question I'm asking, and you can respond on Facebook, it's interesting, we've got a platform, a social media platform to respond to our question today, and you can engage with other listeners, as I always encourage uh, listeners to do. The question I'm asking today is, do you think screen time on your devices enhances or diminishes your life? Uh, You can find the question at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Let's touch on another dimension here, uh, Lindsay, because when we talk about relationships, that's one big, big dimension, so, so important. But also, let's talk uh, through this idea that our screen time creates in us a sedentary lifestyle, and that's got big health effects. Uh, What is the research showing?
1: Uh, The research does actually demonstrate that if you're sitting on your bottom all day and you're looking at the screen, you're actually not doing those things that we should be looking at, and that is things like reflection, like our own health, like our physical health. Um, There is something that's emerging with the use of Zooms, which is the connecting uh, that has become part of... uh, lifestyle and business these days is that there's now becoming an etiquette a zoom etiquette that's developing that says that every on the hour every hour you should get up and walk for 10 minutes or do something for 10 minutes so the screen time what our research is demonstrating is the fact that if we continue this way uh, we only look at our physical health we're not only looking at our general health but we're also looking at our mental health issues that emerge if we spend too much time on our screens. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events.
0: We're talking screen time today. Is it taking away lifetime? Our special guest is Dr. Lindsay McMillan. He is the co-founder of Main Street Insights. New research showing what Aussies think about our screens and it looks pretty, pretty negative. And Lindsay, let's not neglect through our conversation today, to come to some practical things that we perhaps ought to be considering doing in our own screen time and in the screen time that's, that we've got some level of control over within our families. Uh, what do we do uh, to, uh, to have a practical way of controlling screen time getting out of hand so that it has detrimental infa- impacts on us?
1: I think there's some practical examples here. I think one of the elements that I would encourage people to do, which uh, uh, I think is a real and speaks to some of our previous conversation, and that is rather than text or email somebody, call them. Uh, and it is that simple. So rather than having to text somebody, call them. There's a family that, again, a story, family of five children, two-story house, the mother actually texts the children, the teenage children, to let them know that dinner's on the table. And I go, that's really not what it's meant to be, and that's not creating good family. So one of the elements I would do, and I'd strongly encourage people to do, is if you, just before you text or you email somebody on your phone, just consider, is it better to actually call them? Another example that I've heard seems to work well in nurturing a quality family is at the front door, people actually put their phones into a basket and they're not allowed to write after school or uh, coming home from work and they're not allowed to pick it up until after dinner and then they can spend two or three hours on it, but then they have to put it back into the basket out of their room uh, and that goes for the adults as well. Uh, before they actually go to bed to actually deal with this fact that you're not the last thing you see at night is a screen and the first thing you see in the morning is a screen. We have become addicted that that's a reality and I think that the practical implications are that let's, let's use this basket at the front door. Another example that I've heard is for a parent. Uh, just before we move you, on from there, Lindsay, just
0: yeah. uh, this idea of leaving the phone in a basket at the front door, uh, I imagine that's everybody in the family doing that all at once. So you've got the kids coming home from school, uh, you've got mum, you've got dad coming home from work, mum and dad coming home from work. Uh, the idea that you're forcing some level of family interaction and uh, that actually creates a, a bit of a rule and a routine for your family. Is that the way that would work?
1: That's correct. Now, I've inquired how that does work. The the greatest challenge is for the adults to actually honour it because it is very tempting if a phone goes that people then run to the basket to see whose phone it is that's ringing. Um, And it's a matter of actually seriously considering that the family dynamics are more important than the next ring on a phone in the basket at the front door. So it's around, again, coming to where we started, it's around the fact of looking at ways in which we can nurture family life um, better. And another element, another thought that has been uh, used is that when people actually are invited to other people's house, the uh, phones are actually, again, put on the front uh, table at the front door so when people are actually enjoying a uh, dinner together with friends and family, that the phone, when it goes off, then doesn't stop the conversation um, because quality conversations are actually impeded if a phone goes off or, or uh, vibrates. And all of a sudden, uh, and everybody can picture this in your audience, can picture this. So you're sitting around a table, a phone goes off, the whole conversation, which may be in depth, maybe something very serious about life, maybe something very serious about family or business or family or whatever, and a phone goes off, the whole conversation just stops until somebody picks their phone up. So I think we have to be, and here is the thought, we have to be intentional to see what's important in the quality of life around a family and around relationships. And the phone Can become a very important part of that to actually keep communicating with people, but at the same time, it can be, uh, it can impede the quality of relationships again. We all know
0: that the phone will ring at just the wrong time. So uh, the, the way that you do that, I mean, you know, put your phone in the basket and, and as you say, uh, you know, the temptation is for mum and dad who are not under anyone else's rules. They're the ones who are more likely to break it. So you've got to turn your phone off so that it won't yeah. ring, so that it won't buzz uh, when you've got yeah. it there. And, and, of course, this idea of having a deeper conversation, when the phone rings, as you say, those deeper conversations are interrupted. So we're actually, by our mobile devices, we're kept in shallow conversation because we're always on call to answer our phones. Only ever shallow conversations.
1: That's, that's correct. Um, as a generalisation... That is absolutely correct, and I'm sure everybody in your audience can picture the time about when they're sitting around a table, where that happens, and then the the thought or the opportunity, the deep, the deeper conversation, is lost to the the ring on the on a uh, mobile phone somewhere.
0: So much to talk about here. Let's talk some more of the physical impacts you mentioned that the quality of your sleep is diminished when you're exposed to your mobile device. You know, last thing before sleep, first thing when you get up. Uh, Quality of sleep, that's one of those really important components in maintaining a level of mental health. So our mental health is at risk if we're completely dominated by our mobile device.
1: Um, We did a study some time ago about the fact that sleep actually is... uh, so important to the quality of life. And we know that melatonin, which is a um, a chemical in the brain that actually responds to light and darkness, it actually does actually uh, lead us into a sleeping pattern. And again, the the blue light that comes off a screen actually does impede that. So we are now heading into a sleeping environment and the quality of the sleep, not the not the quantity, but the quality of the sleep is lost if we don't take it seriously that we need to put our screens to one side and um, uh, let, let the chemicals that are natural in our body do what they're supposed to do in terms of making sure that we actually get the quality of sleep that we should. Lindsay, there's so
0: many big dimensions here. You can't help but have your attention arrested by the sorts of things, the sorts of... uh, points that you're making here today, uh, let's touch on, in the lead-up to the news, the idea that with our mobile device we're more inclined to get our news from social media and so, therefore, you have an increase in this idea of spreading misinformation or fake news and that has a detrimental effect on an entire society. Give us some insights here. Uh,
1: interesting thoughts, uh, Neil, and there's no doubt that... Uh what the mobile phone has done and the apps that are available, they have actually brought everything that operates on a world stage into that little screen that we can actually look at called our mobile phone. So we can be overwhelmed by what's happening in America with the election. We can be overwhelmed by what's happening in Iran. Uh, We can be overwhelmed by what's happening with COVID in uh, the UK. And what that means is that we then have to look at how do we distinguish between what is real news and what is fake news. And again, I think our our scriptures actually give us some insights into uh, that we need to actually keep our minds uh, on those things that are honourable and true and be very cautious uh, about what we actually read and see on our screens that something that is, uh, again, coming back to your words shallow, uh, doesn't in fact mean that it's necessarily true. Uh, And again, I think the quality of uh, news that's coming through the screen does demand that we need to actually have some dimensions that we can decipher between what is real and what is fake.
0: You know, oftentimes the conversation around the danger of mobile phones for teenagers uh, focuses on the idea of online bullying. But when we talk about all of these dimensions that your latest research is showing us, it really puts bullying even into a context there where bullying and bullying is dreadful and it can lead to all sorts of dreadful effects, even lead to suicide. But in the context of what we're talking about here, it's just one of the dangers of these mobile devices. If you're talking context here, you've got to be able to talk about all of these things together, Lindsay.
1: We do indeed. And uh, I think particularly for teenagers, uh, the concept of uh, who I am is basically defined by what I see on the screen and uh, the apps that I have and the friends I have, numbers I have, and uh, the relationships again within the schoolyard are projected via the screen. And there are many examples from the mental health point of view where young people are actually... Uh, denigrated and bullied online and it's all done online and there's no face-to-face encounter at all so people make judgments about their level of friendships and uh, can have some tragic ends Uh,
0: i do want to just uh, reflect on uh, a a comment or two that's come from listeners Uh, last listeners to respond to our facebook comment today do you think screen time on your devices enhances or diminishes your life valerie says a trick question it really does, depends on what you are using it for. There are some really good apps and things on the internet that can help you in life, but there are some things that are not good for you, especially if you have an addiction. It's, uh, it's uh, taking you away from God. If it's taking you away from God, get rid of it. What would your thoughts for someone like Valerie be?
1: Um, I think she makes a very good point. The fact is that uh, our previous conversation may have given the view that everything about uh, use of our mobile devices is bad. Well, that's not really the case. It's a matter of how we manage that and how we are disciplined about that. And Valerie's point is very worthwhile. It's a matter of how disciplined are we to use the good things that are available on our screens uh, for instance, there's some amazing apps, Bible related apps, that uh, are very easy to uh, manipulate and to manage, and uh, they should be encouraged. Uh, but I think Valerie's point is a good one.
0: Uh, There's another uh, listener who says playing games or just scrolling through Facebook, uh, getting annoyed with some of the content, diminishing. Uh, That's what they're saying, uh, not to mention stealing your peace. Now, that's an interesting terminology, uh, but that's quite impacting. And certainly for uh, Christian listeners today who know what it is to appreciate the peace of God. When you've got such distraction, the idea of stealing your peace, what would your thought for that listener be?
1: I love that expression. I think that's a wonderful thought. I think that what uh, screen time does is uh, basically it keeps noise into our mind and noise into our ears. Um, I'm sure everybody is aware of the fact that if you're walking down a street of a uh, town, that you'll see people with uh, earplugs in their ears. Um, The fact is that there is an addiction that's emerging particularly with emerging generations, that they always have to be listening to something or have something in their visual or into their auditory, their ears. And I think that uh, one of the things as believers we need to be really careful of that we don't consume so much time on screens with our visual and our auditory that we lose sight of the power of being reflective and quiet and being still. Um, I think this is something that we're going to think about about uh, in future research is just to try and understand from people, do they in fact take time to be quiet and do they take time to be still? Powerful
0: insight because taking time to be quiet and still, not easy, but if you're going to get all your thoughts from your mobile device, all you are doing is allowing someone else's thoughts to fill your thoughts uh, rather than let your own thoughts uh, have some substance to them. And, of course, uh, as you say, being reflective, and that's a, there's a deeper uh, issue there when we talk about how we reflect on God, uh, the idea of reading the Bible, the idea of being a person who spends time in prayer and meditation on the Word of God. Those sorts of things are powerful reflections. But, Lindsay, let me ask you about parents because... We as parents are often dealing with our own challenge here, but we've got responsibility for our families. And so mostly that responsibility points to the younger members of our families. Sometimes we refer to Generation Alpha, those who are aged under 11 years at the moment, and say, what's going to happen to this generation growing up with these same sorts of addictions that we have as parents? What are your thoughts here for parents thinking about their children?
1: Well, I think, again, I think um, I've heard parents say that uh, uh, just get on your iPad and it becomes a uh, modern-day child-minding service. Um, I think there are ways in which we need to be very careful as parents with children of that age group because what we're actually going to be doing is we're going to be teaching them how to actually build relationships. Just where I live, there is a, a very, very large... Italian family restaurant and the owner of the restaurant was very disturbed about the fact that he would see families come to the restaurant, uh, it's a pizza pasta restaurant and he would see families come to the restaurant and they would not talk to each other because they'd all be screens, it would keep uh, the parents, mum and the dad would be able to actually chat to each other but the children, these younger families would be all on screens So he got to the point where he said, this is not good for the future of our children. What I need to do is actually ban screens and iPads in my restaurant. So he put a sign on the front door that said, no screens, no iPads are allowed in this restaurant when families are here, between uh, uh, the hours of six to eight every day. It became a major talking point that all of a sudden people were saying, you know what, he's right. Uh, And I think that there's a really powerful lesson there. Again, it's a discipline of parents to be able to say, you are limited to the amount of time you spend on screens. I think the other element is that if they're in a uh, screens, they should always be in the family room or the kitchen so the parents can see what is on the screens. There is also some apps, and again, we're coming to the good Good opportunities here that actually you can actually within a home you can turn off all internet at a certain time 9.30 or 8.30 whatever time that the, the parents determine uh, and again that there's some very practical suggestions that make a difference in terms of the quality of the uh, relationships and, and the imperatives of parents to actually know what their children are watching.
0: Now, a bit of pressure on you here, Lindsay. Do you know the name of that app? Because I know that there'll be listeners who'll be thinking, I need to get a hold of that app on our phones, on our devices, so that we can implement something practical in all of this. Do you know the name of that app?
1: I think it's... uh, I can... uh, I don't have it actually with me right this very present, but it's an app that says... uh, I think it's called Limit Time, something like that. Um... But if you go to uh, your app store uh, on your phone, and these are all the good things about uh, screen time, and uh, just uh, look at ways in which we can limit time for screens.
0: Powerful thing, and I know there'll be listeners who'll check that out. Uh, limit time or go to your app store uh, and check out there might be a number of different apps that you can, I, in I fact, uh, implement. Is. Yep. So, as parents, we're struggling with our own addictive nature with our screens. Somehow or other, you've got to, you know, it's a little bit like if you're talking about any sort of addiction here, and I'm not sure what sort of an expert you are on addictions, uh, Lindsay, but uh, this idea of admitting that you've got an addiction so that you can take some action, otherwise you can just let things go by, that one goes through to the keeper, you just keep on doing what you've always done, uh, you've got to somehow or other admit that you've got a problem, is that the way you should uh, you should work with uh, the idea of an addictive screen nature?
1: Well, I I think the I'm not uh, an expert on addiction, but what I can offer here is I think it's a conversation. I think it's very important that adults in in the room uh, and again, thinking families, I think it's very important for the parents to actually ask the question, do I spend too much time on my my screen? And I think then it's a matter of within the uh, family between the adults to be able to say... We probably are. Then the next question is: So what are we going to do about it? And then to be accountable to one another uh, as parents. And uh, I know that the parents that we talk to, that parents generally are concerned about the amount of time that uh, they their children do spend online, on particularly as they get older. Uh, and I think that it's a matter of being accountable to one another. But to ask those serious questions: Do I spend too much time on the On my screen. And when we didn't really get into a
0: lot of discussion in the first part of our conversation around the idea of uh, learning to navigate the misinformation that we're likely to be exposed to in social media, this is another parent child responsibility here. Uh, What are your thoughts for parents? Uh, being able to teach kids how to navigate what is fake news? Because, I mean, here we are as parents, we're often uh, seeing things online too and uh, we're exposed to fake news and we've got to be able to discern what is true and what is right. What are your thoughts here for parents? Um,
1: The reality is that this is a very difficult subject to be able to uh, work through as parents. Uh, The important starting point here is to know what a what are your children watching on their screen. Um, it's a matter of be very careful to understand that um, it's so easy for children to go onto YouTube, and then for YouTube to send through artificial intelligence an interest to uh, another part of YouTube that may, in fact, not enhance the quality of the lifestyle or the culture or the belief systems within that particular house. So simple things as having children in the family room or the kitchen with the screens facing, not facing the wall, but facing out into the room so parents can actually see what their children are looking at. YouTube, uh, and I encourage your listeners... To actually look at a documentary that's just been developed uh, and uh, again you can see it on on uh, online but it's a, a that speaks to this it's called the social dilemma and it's looking at the ethical considerations of what is happening and the way in which artificial intelligence takes to your point Neil as to um, you may particular have a particular interest in a subject and then the artificial intelligence actually drives that subject uh, in other ways uh, through the platform that you may actually be watching. So coming back to your question, parents need to know exactly what their children are watching. They need to make sure that they limit the amount of time that their children or young people where is it it's possible to be online. They need to actually have dedicated time where there is no screen time. Um, and they need to actually see what's important is to actually be accountable one to one another about for the time that they actually do spend online. <laughs> Just
0: to pick up on one point here, which may be useful, the idea that, as you say, artificial intelligence is driving when you go on YouTube and uh, there are algorithms that are used by the company to send you similar sorts of clips to what you've been watching. So as a parent, can you seed to your children good clips that might influence those algorithms to send good things? Is that a possibility?
1: Well, I think the uh, the challenge we've got with that, Neil, is that uh, school and particularly what's happened with schools online uh, through COVID uh, is that um, the school environments themselves are actually having uh, having the algorithms that are actually limiting those challenges. Uh, Within just a general household, though, it's, it's a little difficult to know what algorithms are actually in place that push uh, a particular idea or a particular request that the, the person's put through to Google or to a search engine. Uh, it's very difficult to know what is good or what is bad uh, in terms of the algorithm, other than the algorithm will actually take a, a particular interest and then push it online further down the track. For instance, if you're looking on Google for um, a uh, particular item uh, that you want to buy, you'll then find that on other search engine points that that will actually come up again and again and again and they'll push you into other ways to actually see what it is that you're looking for. So the answer to the question is, uh, that's not that easy to get an answer to that question.
0: Well, it might be something that some parents might like to experiment with somehow, because uh, if you can help to control uh, how that artificial intelligence might well uh, help uh, your children to see good clips and not bad, uh, it might be worth a try. But as you say, uh, Lindsay, not so easy. And of course, you might have to put an awful lot of time into that. Hey, the idea of getting disciplined, this is the challenge here. And uh, this is where we'll all struggle getting disciplined and the idea I guess here of creating a family bubble. You know sometimes we talk about the political bubble people talk about a Canberra bubble where politicians they're in a bubble and uh, they may, may not necessarily have an idea what ordinary Australians think the idea if you're on the left side of politics or on the right side of politics you can get into a bubble. In fact in some sense we talk about having a and you know, I talk about having a bit of a bubble when we talk about the Christian things we talk about even on this radio program but this idea of mm of getting disciplined, you've got to create some sort of family bubble where you contain the good things and keep the bad things out, Lindsay.
1: I, uh, that's absolutely right. The, the uh, and, as, and this is an adult requirement as well because we can actually become addicted to phones uh, and our mobile devices uh, in a way that we can then just simply pass off as of saying, oh, well, I need to know. It is this need-to-know syndrome that just pervades our to a point where um, we need to be very careful at where it leads to. And I think that self-discipline, which is a beautiful Christian requirement that we're called to, does actually require us to be able to take time to meditate on scriptures, to take time to be reflective, to take time to actually be able to pray uh, and to take time to actually spend with quality relationships, whether it's with my spouse my partner, or my, and with my children. So to your point, Neil, discipline, self-discipline is really important, but to be practical about it, it more often than not requires me to be accountable to somebody else to be able to say, am I spending too much time on my screens or my phone or my laptop? And if the answer is yes, or I feel like I spend too much time and I want you to tell me that I'm doing that, uh, and that we agree that I'll spend limited, more limited amount of time. So I think we are human. At the end of the day, with God's grace, we can actually spend less time on these kind of environment uh, devices and sp- spend more time in quality relationships. But I think that it is really important that we become accountable to each other uh, to help us through this, what can be Uh, a very challenging part of what it means to live in modern environment like we do where we rely so heavily upon
0: our devices What tremendous wisdom today Lindsay. Uh, Before we conclude our conversation uh, let me just ask you because I did mention uh, early on we might talk a little bit about some of the changes that are happening with online platforms and we might have to have another conversation on another day to really get into this but when we're talking about being parents and having our kids uh, under some level of influence uh, uh, with uh, their mobile devices, there's change that is happening. Change is afoot. Generations are changing the sort of platforms that they are interested in and addicted by. Uh, We talk about TikTok uh, capturing a younger imagination. Talk about younger people leaving Facebook behind. Uh, Give us some insights here in just a a brief way that things are changing so that as parents are thinking about what they need to be looking at to help to uh, help to uh, create that That's safety for their children.
1: Um, Neil, we live in such a dynamic environment where platforms are just changing so quickly. Uh, TikTok has just been introduced into Australia. And as of last night, there are two and a half million people have joined up. And it's essentially for under 25 year olds. Uh, Facebook used to be the platform it then became Instagram is the, is the next generation. And there will be other platforms that will come along uh, again and again again. So I think what's really important to your point, Neil, is that uh, we as adults, as parents, we need to again be very aware of what our children are signing up to in the different platforms that we can... Uh, uh, which is just... there's a plethora of them these days, not only there, but in news environments, Uh, in uh, just general uh, environments like TikTok, Facebook, Tinder, uh, Instagram, and so on and so on. We need to be very cautious about that.
0: Right. Well, great insights today, Lindsay McMillan, and no doubt there'll be listeners who'll want to access some detail about the sort of research we're talking about today. So I want to point people to the website for Main Street Insights. Now, it's MainStreetInsights.com.au. And I know that when listeners go to that, they'll be able to see a number of articles there, uh, particularly around the issues that we're talking about uh, so far as uh, uh, the addictive nature of these uh, uh, screens and also about the changes that are happening uh, with the way that we're accessing different platforms online. So Main Street Insights... And you have a wonderful friendship with uh, Mark McCrindle, McCrindle Research, a wonderful social scientist, uh, comes up with such great research that gives us real insights into Australian society. And uh, listeners might like to Google McCrindle Research as well. And no doubt there'll be all sorts of good resources that you'll be able to access on the McCrindle site. But uh, other elements of the Main Street Insights uh, website uh, that you might like to draw attention to uh, if listeners go there?
1: Well, I think the, uh, we've just commenced this. The first uh, study that we did, which we had to talk about previously, was about the spirit of Australia. Uh, this one's around the use of screen time. And the one that we're doing just leading up to Christmas is about optimism, coming out of COVID and also looking towards Christmas. So we're relatively new, but we're actually on the move. We just want to be able to address some of those issues of people living on Main Street. So go to the website. Thank you for that.
0: Fabulous. Dr. Lindsay McMillan, he is the co-founder of Main Street Insights, a leading Australian academic, thought leader, and social commentator. Mainstreetinsights.com.au. Lindsay, thanks so much for taking some time to share your thoughts with us today on 2020.
1: Bless you. Thank you, Neil.